You are listening to Pastor Scott Rising of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, A Tale of Two Treasures, recorded on March the 26th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Scott as he preaches. Listen, not all that long ago, uh, there was a phrase that was very popular among the youth of the world. You might remember it. It's annoying. It's, the, it's YOLO. Remember that? Which was an acronym for you only live once. It, it has the thought behind it that, that we should enjoy life to the fullest. I'm all for that. To, to do whatever makes you happy, even if it hurts those that you love. Not for that, right? It means taking crazy risks because today might be your last day. And, and to do whatever you want. YOLO. It, you only live once. And, and think about this. Generally, generally. It's just an excuse to make some really stupid decisions, right? So, like, it starts off small, right? So, hey, let's skip some school today, right? So, if you're in high school, yeah, YOLO, man. You only live once. We should do that, right? But it, it escalates to some really silliness. Maybe, maybe your buddy says, hey, we should smoke some poison ivy and see if we get a rash on our lungs, that would be stupid. But then the dumb friend says, YOLO, and we should do that. Or it, it, it actually progresses, though. Uh, maybe you get drunk and do drugs, and, and you start to regret that decision, but then one of your buddies says to you, hey, don't regret it, man. YOLO. We only live once. And, and see, this type of living for today and concerning ourselves with, with just this moment is actually one of the greatest dangers to a man's soul. It, it actually should not be surprising that Jesus speaks so much about it because this little subtle trap has, has ensnared many people into it. So Jesus speaks very specific towards this gradual and misleading enemy. It can seem so harmless to try to find our happiness in this world, in this world alone. The thought, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, is a trap that has ensnared many souls for eternity. Laying up treasure here on earth, well, that, that can be a dangerous thing, Jesus would tell us. We should lay up treasure in heaven. And that's why we're reminded of Matthew 6, 19 and 21, where he says, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, Jesus is asking, where's your heart, right? What do you love best? What are your ultimate affections on? Things of the earth or things in heaven? Life or death? hangs in the balance of how we answer that question. Because if your treasure is earthly, well, then your heart will be earthly. And Jesus knows that. See, the world system screams YOLO, right? It it, it values the one who dies with the most toys wins. You ever heard that quote? Here's the thing. The one who dies with the most toys still dies. And what happens after that moment? Well, that's a utmost importance. See, you're going to hear in the text today that money and riches, well, they're a thing, but they're not the main problem. See, it's, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of treasure. 
And although we do only live once here on this earth, it's substantially more important what happens once this life ends. So let's jump into our text. Tonight we're, we're going to be working through James 5, 1 through 6. Will you join me? James says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Well, that's a happy little text, right? Whew! James just got his prophet on when he pronounced condemnation and judgment on those who are rich. And, and notice, he, he's not calling them to repent or to change their behavior. Instead, he warns them of the imminent disaster that is coming upon them, upon their wicked and ungodly hearts, and he calls them to weep and to howl for the coming fate that is in their near future. Man, so if you're like me, I'm reading that, and I'm like, who, who is he talking to? Who is James talking to? I hope you're wanting to know that question. Well, the, the quick and simple answer is the rich. And, and no doubt, some of you are like, oh, whew, not talking to me. I can like check into Facebook and check out of what he's saying, because I'm not rich. But I would say, let's hold on just a moment. And, and let's not be so quick to say you're not rich. Let's say, what is rich? Well, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. So I looked that up, right? And, and so here's some statistics. You got $2,200 in assets. huh? If you do, well, then you are in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest. $2,200, not in cash, in assets, Okay. All right. If you made $1,500 last year, you are in the top 20% of the world's income earners. Okay. It gets better. I promise. Hang in there. If you have sufficient food and decent clothing, live in a house or an apartment and have a reasonable, reliable means of transportation, well, then you are among the top 15% of the world's wealthy. You do, do you have $61,000 in assets? If you do, you're in the top 10% of adults in the world. How about this? If you have earned $25,000 or more annually, well, then you are in the top 10% of the world's income earners. All right, two, two more. Hang in there. If you have any money saved, I said any money, a hobby that requires some equipment and supplies, a variety of clothing in your closet, two cars in any condition, by the way, and live in your own home, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest. Last, ready? Last one. If you earn more than $50,000 annually, you're in the top 1% of the world's income earners. How'd you fare? Any rich people here? At least 50%? Yeah, so, so here's the thing. 
Who are the rich? Now, some of you still might be like, still not talking to me. I hope, I hope that you're nine or under. And even nine-year-olds, if we added up their assets, probably have more than $2,200 worth of things in their home. So if, if you're like, uh-oh, I just took a deep breath because I think that you might be talking to me. There might be some truth to that. But, but here's the, the question. See, because here's the thing. We're extremely rich as Americans compared to the world. Make, make no mistake about that. But is that exactly who James is talking to? Well, we must ask that question. Because is James asking us all right now to weep and to howl for the miseries that are coming upon us? Well, that depends on more than just numbers. That depends on a lot of things. The real question is, who is James specifically speaking to? And I'm convinced that he's addressing the non-believing, ungodly rich people in this text. He's speaking to those who have hoarded up treasures of the earth and and have lived in extreme extravagance wealth, wealth that has come through in just ways. Notice he doesn't address them as beloved brothers or fellow believers, as we've heard over and over throughout this entire letter. No, there's, there's no... In the text, there's no mention of that language, and we see only judgment and condemnation to the height that James actually says, you have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And and we know, we know that's not true for the Christian. That's not how the Christian's life ends. So, So, all right, so why would James want to address the unbelieving rich in this manner? That's the next question, right? It's it's not likely they're going to hear it. It's not likely they're going to hear this. James is not attempting to, to teach the ungodly rich about the error of their ways. It's much more likely that he is, is reminding the church that their God sees all the injustice that's happening to them. And to remind them not to envy them just because they're living it up now. He, he's, he's talking to the church. James wants the church to know that God sees all the injustice that's happening in the world. And not only does he see it, but he hates it because he hates injustice. And he tells them, listen, he's still in control. Hang in there. And, and James knows, oh, James knows that it's all too tempting for the church to envy and to desire for them to be rich and to start to covet what they have. And this passage is a warning to them not to head in this direction because he knows where that treasure hunt will lead. So he shoots a warning shot off to his church. So if being rich in and of itself is not the problem, well, what is? What is the problem then? See, some have wrongly misquoted the text in the Bible to say that money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? Yeah, well, when in all actuality, money's not necessarily the problem. Actually, it's neutral, right? It's neither good or bad. But the actual quote comes from 1 Timothy 6.10 where it says, for the, listen to the subtle difference, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. No, notice the difference. It, it's, the, it's the love of money, not money in itself. It's, it is a root of all kinds of evils. See, see there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with money in and of itself. The question is, do you treasure it? Do you long for it? Is it where you put your security and your trust? Does your heart long to have it? Would you do anything to get it? So you can use money for good or you can use money 
for wickedness. You can use people to get money, which is wicked. So loving the riches of this world more than we treasure Jesus is a bankrupt plan. That's exactly what James is teaching us here. And, and this is where I find it helpful to teach what I've heard many different preachers and teachers present. And, and it's this thought, that there's four categories for, for money when it comes to people. First, number one, you have the godly rich. Listen, some of the most generous people I've ever met in my entire life have been people who God has blessed financially, but they don't treasure it above Christ. And so they're very generous. They, they hold it with open hands. These are some of the most generous people I've ever met. So that's the, that's the godly rich, right? But, but you also have the godly poor. What are, what are the godly poor? Well, these are the people that work very, very hard in a way that glorifies God, in, in a way that strives to provide for their family, and, and they try to live within their means, and they may struggle greatly to pay their bills and to put food on the table, but they would give you the shirt off of their back. And so they're generous. They're generous. They just don't have a lot to be generous with. But then you have the ungodly poor. The ungodly poor. See, you don't have to have money in order to be not greedy, right? Some of the most greedy people I've ever met are poor. They're just, they're really bad at gathering treasure, but they long for it. They hoard it. They they would never share it with you. And they actually think that, that you and I, we should all just provide it for them. Give me my treasure. And so they will abuse people. They will abuse systems to get the treasure of their heart. That's the ungodly poor. But then there's this last category which James is talking about. And it's the ungodly rich who are represented in this text. So so let's look at this text a little more in depth and let's see what makes them ungodly rich. And and I think you'll see in verses 2 and 3 it says, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last day. See, notice, notice they've accumulated a bunch of wealth for their own sake. Instead of using their wealth and their goods, they, they have actually hoarded it. And they, they can't get enough. This is like the lifestyles of the rich and famous meat hoarders in some strange show. right? And so they gather and they gather. And it's, an, it's a picture of extreme waste. It's just waste. James is saying, your riches have rotted, right? Your your garments are moth-eaten. Your silver and gold have corroded. These are all in the the present tense. Do you see that? See, have rotted, are moth-eaten, have corroded. And the point is this. You could have used these gifts to bless others. Instead, you have hoarded them for yourselves, and now they're no good for anyone. Worse yet, in verse 3, it's actually going to be evidence against them. And, and this is used to testify against you to show your wicked heart. You had an abundance. You had so much you couldn't even use it all. It's actually went to rot. And yes, it's true you've laid treasure up in the last days, but this treasure can actually do nothing to save your soul at judgment time. He's speaking to the ungodly rich. However, there's something for us to learn here, church. 
See, we can fall into the same trap of collecting things. We can gather so much stuff. I, I guarantee every one of us have so many clothes that, that, like, we're talking four generations gone. And I know we're all saying, I know, but I'm doing this new diet thing, and I'm going to be back in those in any time. But they're like four generations ago, and I've heard, well, yeah, but if you hang on to them long enough, actually that trend will come back around. And that may be true, right? But like give them away and you can still go to the Salvation Army and still pick out some stuff that's old at a cheap rate. There are people who need these things, so, so give it away. Be in a habit of, of, of giving these things away because it's just too easy to, to hoard things, to treasure it up like a squirrel in the wintertime. And, and here's the thing. Remember, unused wealth does the church no good when Jesus returns. None. This does it no good because it's burned up then. Listen, God does not give us earthly riches so that we'll, they will rot. He doesn't give us earthly riches so that they will corrode or so that our clothing will get ate by the moths. No, he gives us things so that we might bless others and point people to the fact that these things are not my treasure. Christ is my treasure. So here you go. I'm open-handed. What do you need? You can go shopping in my closet. And if you've seen it, you won't be that excited. But if you need something, to be warm, well, I'd, I'd gladly give you a coat, right? And so that's one indicator, hoarding, right? What's another one? Well, look at James 5, 5. He says, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. See, what an ungodly picture of it's all about you. It's meology at its finest, right? The, the goal in life is to live as though this is the only life you have. YOLO, you only live once, right? This is exactly what's going on. You're at the center of the universe and everyone and everything is here to bring you pleasure. Self-indulgence, luxury. You're the, you, the whole goal of your life is to live the most pampered, pleasured life you possibly can. It's all about you. And we've all watched shows, right, of extreme luxury. I know I have. That, that show vacation homes. Like, we're shopping for our 15th home. Come with us on a trip. And it's like more money than you've ever made in your entire life. And they're like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's only $5 million. We were hoping to spend eight. And... But, but now here's the thing. We can laugh at that, right? But, but here's the thing. If we can be real, our hearts and our minds are thinking, oh, if I could ever just only go on a shopping trip like that, I'd be so happy. If I only made this much money, well, then all my problems would be still there. But we think they'd be gone. Life would be grand. I would have no worries at all. Yet this is in spite of the fact that we know we know that's not true because of the fall. We know that pain and suffering are inevitable. But it's seductive to think that we can somehow avoid difficulties in our lives if we just had more stuff, more money, nicer things. We all fantasize about a trouble-free life. Many of us believe that if we were just rich enough, our worries would disappear. And this is wrong thinking that is encouraged by a culture which holds money to be the cure-all God of this world. The problem is, it's not true. And now to be fair, money does solve a lot of problems, right? I mean, it's very good if you need to fix your roof, 
right? You need some cash. It, it's really great if you have to get your car worked on or, or if you need to buy some food and have access to good medical care. And the list goes on and on. We, all we need to do is to leave the comforts of America and to go to other countries to realize money fixes a lot of things. Actually, we're, we're amazingly blessed when it comes to money. But, but here's the thing. A lot of the things that we face in life cannot be fixed by money. It can't be fixed by money. Listen, it doesn't help when you have conflict in your family with people you desperately love. Money doesn't fix that, right? If you are so depressed, you can't get out of bed. I don't care how much money you have. It doesn't fix it. If you're struggling with addiction, you might be able to get into a better place that can give you better care, but money doesn't make it go away. If you're grieving the loss of someone you deeply love, it does nothing. It does nothing to fix that. That loss. And actually throwing money at these things many times can make them much worse. But we see over and over that just because we treasure the things of the world doesn't mean, even if you get them, doesn't mean you're going to be happy. We all know people who seem to have everything. They seem to have everything. And yet they're empty. And they're depleted. But on the flip side of that, we also know ungodly rich people that seem really happy. They don't know Jesus. And heck, they might be. That's the crazy thing. And see, James reminds us, though, they might be happy in this moment, in this life. But unless God miraculously intervenes, there is a day of judgment coming for them. So they might enjoy this moment right now. But think beyond this moment. You're, listen, your life is but a mist. And then comes eternity. And he says in verse 5, he says, You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Oh, what a, what a chilling text. Listen, Easter's coming up, and, and if you're in my family, we eat ham. And, and you may not know this about me, but I love pigs. I love them. I, I love them. As a matter of fact, what I really love from a pig is bacon. But if you can't have bacon, you know what the best, next best thing is? Ham. Ham. And so here, here's the thing. If you know anything about farming, you know what they have to do to that pig? they got to give it a lot of food. They are fattening this sucker up. And he's probably like, this is the greatest day ever. He's living high on the hog, you know what I mean? right? But what he doesn't realize is they're just porking this baby up for the day of slaughter so that the day, when that day comes, he has more bacon on him because the more bacon he has on him, the more money that that guy's going to make. So they keep feeding him, feeding him, feeding him until the one day he ends up at the butcher's place. Uh Uh-oh. And then he ends up in the market. And then he ends up on someone's table. Now here's the thing, and we won't follow that conclusion out. Here's the thing. James, James is saying, listen, those who lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you are fattening your hearts for the day of slaughter. Now, now here's the thing. To be clear, James is not saying that it's wrong to save for the future. He's not saying it's wrong to have a 401k or even to enjoy the finer things of life. That's not what he's saying. To say that would be to have a misunderstanding of the Bible and what the Bible teaches. It would actually be denying the goodness of God who gives good gifts to his children. No, no. We should receive those things with thanksgiving and enjoy them to the glory of God. We, but, but we need to live as though 
These things are not our treasure. That Christ is our treasure, not the things of this world. So, so listen, Christian, go to your favorite coffee spot. Get yourself a frappuccino. Enjoy it. Go out to eat. Get a filet. Wrap it in bacon. Get it medium or less or you're actually committing a grave sin. Right? And enjoy that. Go on vacation and enjoy some time away. Do all these things to the glory of God. Enjoy them. But don't make them your treasure. Or your heart, you, listen, you will end up spiritually bankrupt. Because they can never do the God thing you want them to do in that moment. If you do, you may begin to covet and treasure these things up in your heart. And the things of the earth. And you will do unjust things in order to get what you desire most, which is a, it's exactly our last indicator of the ungodly rich that James brings us to in verses 4 and 6 of chapter 5. He says, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Here we see the ungodly rich many times get rich through unjust ways. These landowners have, have actually, listen, they've used their riches to take advantage of people, to exploit them, to exploit others, and especially, probably, definitely, including those within the church, no doubt. And look at verse 6. It says, you have, you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. See, James wants to remind the church that God hates injustice, and he sees it. Oh, and he concerns himself with the poor and the oppressed. James is reminding the church that they need not get revenge on these people, but they need to be patient. And you're going to hear more about that next week. But, but listen, they're getting away with nothing because God sees it all. And he has heard their cries. Oh, it's went to the ears of the Lord of hosts. And he's heard his people. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that you see that riches, wealth is not the problem. It's the heart that treasures these things above all else. See, the ungodly rich will hoard up earthly treasure as they live a life of extravagant luxury at any means possible through many unjust ways. Do you see that money is not the problem? It's what your heart does with that treasure. Do, do you remember the rich young ruler? Do, do you remember... He came to Jesus asking for eternal life. And he asked, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Right? And, and so Jesus tells him, hey, you've got you to keep these commandments. And now listen, just to make sure, I'm not going to go into teaching all this text, but Jesus is not teaching some salvation by works here. But, but he's masterfully, he's masterfully dismantling this young man to expose his heart. And, and the young man's like, cool, which commandments do I need to keep? And so Jesus, he, he, he plays the game and he gives him an impossible list. And listen to this man's response in Matthew 19, 20 through 22. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. See, see Jesus went for this man's heart. 
he knew that the riches had become his treasure. He could see he's God. He knows. He knows what this young man wants and what he's unwilling to let go of to enjoy. He knows that he finds his personal identity in this. He finds his power and his significance in his wealth. It was his God. It was his treasure. And he was unwilling to part with these things. Jesus was calling him into life. And this man was looking for eternal life. And Jesus was telling him, go, give everything away and follow me. But here's the thing, to exchange the God of wealth for the eternal God, to the eternal treasure and follow Christ was one thing he was unwilling to do. Jesus was offering life and life abundantly in him. He would have Jesus and everything, but, but he wouldn't let it go. He wouldn't walk away. Look how he responds. He went away. Don't miss this. He went away sorrowful. Why? Because he had great possessions. And even though this young man wanted eternal life, he could not bring himself to let go of the treasure of his heart. Crazy question. Do you know how they catch monkeys in other parts of the world? We don't catch monkeys in the United States. But do you know how they catch them in other parts of the world? I'll tell you. They actually take a coconut and they attach like a rope or a string to a tree. Okay? And then they drill a hole or they put this little crevice in this dried out coconut. And they they throw seed in there and, and maybe some figs and things that monkeys like. Right? So the monkey comes along. He smells this. And he, and he sticks his, his little hand in there and he gets what it is that he so desires. And guess what? If he makes a fist, he he can't get his hand out of the coconut. But guess what he has to do to get his hand out? He just has to let go. Just open his hand, take it out. But here's the crazy thing. He won't. Many times, I've I've seen this on, on video. He will not let go of it. He'll keep the grip to the point that he will actually watch a hunter come up and club him over the head. And he'll die. And all he had to do was let it go. And you're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, hang out with me more. You'll hear more dumb things. But I want you to think about that in relation. I want you to think about that in relation. What is it you won't let go of? What is it you treasure? This rich man, he had great wealth. And he walked away sorrowful. All he had to do is let go. And he has infinite life, infinite joy. He has Christ. And he, and he won't, but how many times have we held on to things <laughs> way less than in, like a ton of riches, right? Well, in the same way is true for this rich young ruler. He just had to let go. And the same is true for all of us. We all treasure things. And Jesus calls us to let them go and to follow him, to enjoy him as our most great and infinite treasure of all. So church, what do we do with a text like this? What do we do with a text like this? Do we join the 99% and organize a march in D.C. and whine about the unjust fact that we have to work 31 hours for minimum wage? I, I don't think so. Actually, I'm saying no, we don't do that, right? Or how about this? Do we go find all the ungodly rich of the world and tell them to weep and to howl for the miseries that are coming upon them because they have fattened their hearts for the day of slaughter? No, I'm pretty sure that's not what the Lord wants us to do. So how do we respond? How do we respond? In all seriousness, church, how do we respond to a text like this? Answer, in faith. 
Isn't that exactly what James has been telling us all through this book? Trusting that we have a generous God who sees everything. He's the God of all grace. And we remind ourselves that the gospel and the treasure of Christ. We remind ourselves, Lord, give us faith to treasure you above all things. Do you remember what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 13, 44 when he told them a parable? Listen, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I I love this text. What a wild picture that Jesus is painting for us here. I mean, imagine you're out and you're walking in a field and you stumble upon a treasure and it's more valuable than anything you have or anything that you ever dreamt that you could have or ever save up to have in your entire life. You take a quick look around, you make sure no one's looking, you make sure there's no game cams on the property, right? And you bolt out of there, right? And, and, and you go and you start selling everything you have. And, and listen, everyone close to you is asking, are you all right, man? You're, are, what are you thinking? Why are you selling everything you have to buy that stupid field? And you're like, man, it's, it's a great field over there, right? And you're like smiling on the inside and... and And they look at you as if you're like from another planet. You're selling everything just to buy that field. What's so amazing about that field? But you know something they don't know. And and they say, you're so foolish. And and they they ask, why are you doing this? And how do you respond? How how do you respond? Well, you tell them that you you got a good feeling about this field. And, And so with joy, oh, with joy, you continue to sell everything you have to obtain this field. Why? Because it has treasure in it. And it's treasure that's worth losing everything for. And Jesus is saying, he's the treasure. Do you get it? It's easy to walk away when you can see him. But it's not easy to see him. We need a miracle to see him. So God, show me. And we know, we know Jesus says, listen, he is worth losing everything for. And in the end, you don't lose anything because he tells us there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come eternal life. And so with joy, you sell it, you give it away, you walk away, you follow him. Do, do you see him? Because if you do, it'll be a joy. It's just so, it's just stuff. It's just stuff. It's not even a big deal. See, treasuring Jesus above all is lasting wealth. It's lasting wealth because he's eternal and he's more valuable than anything and everything else. And how do you know? How do you know? Will you look at the gospel? Listen, look at this text with me and, and commit to looking at it all week. Will you do that? Look at 2 Corinthians 8 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus. Oh, you know the grace. How do you know? Because it's a gift and he's given you the sight to see it. That though he was rich, Christ always has been. There's never been a time there was not Jesus. He's in heaven, angels singing, seraphim, holy, holy, the thresholds shaking. He's rich. He owns everything. All things were made through him. Nothing was made without him. He upholds the universe with his word. But for your sake, for your sake, he became poor. He put on flesh. He came to this earth and he went to the cross willingly and died. Why? So that. 
you by his poverty might become rich. What are we rich in? We're rich in Christ. Oh, we get God. Do you understand? This is, the, this is why he came, to bring you to God. How does that happen? Through the blood of Christ. Did he have to do that? No, he didn't have to do that. Did he do that because you're amazing? He didn't do that because you're amazing. Why did he do it? To glorify God because he loves you. He came on a mission of love to seek and to save the lost. And if you know him, it's only because the grace of God has opened your eyes to see Jesus as treasure. And as you do, you will fling off the things of this earth because they don't matter in comparison to what we have in Christ. That's the gospel. Listen, in Christ, we are rich in grace. We're rich in forgiveness. We have adoption. We have all the benefits, and they're just benefits because the real treasure is we get God. Being rich in Christ is real and lasting treasure. So as we, as we land this plane, listen, I want to talk to anybody who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Listen, it's a trillion times better, and that's, that's not hyperbole. I just don't have good words to explain how amazing it is. It's a trillion times, a, a Google Plexium times better to be rich in God than to be rich in this earth only. See, your earthly riches will be worthless. Matter of fact, they come to all the children of God eventually. I get your stuff. Any other Christians here? You get their stuff. We get their stuff. But, but here's the thing. I promise you it's better to be poor in earthly riches than it is to be poor in Christ. See, I want you to be rich in Christ. I've been praying for you all week. I'm praying that God would open your eyes. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see Jesus because that's what you need. You need to see. And if you can see Jesus for who he truly is, you, my friend, you won't you need anything answered. Everything will be answered. You'll fling yourself upon him. And these things, they, you can still enjoy them, but they won't own you. They will not own you because when you see Christ as the treasure that he is, oh, you receive him with joy because he's joy. He's infinite joy. And it doesn't mean that your life's always going to be amazing. It won't be amazing, but your God is amazing. And so you will embrace him for all that he is and all that, and and the things that we don't even know all that he is until we dig into the word. So if you're here and you don't know him, oh, would you get to know him? Would you read the book of John specifically? I'm asking you, ask him to open your eyes. You do not have because you do not ask. He would love to give you his Holy Spirit. Ask him to see. And see. Treasure. Repent. Believe. Because, listen, if not, James is telling you, you're fattening your heart for the day of slaughter. That day's coming. You could say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't change the fact of what is. But I want you in heaven with me. I want you to experience the joy of Christ now. And you don't have to wait for the joy of Christ to the day you die. You have him now. He's with you. And he draws you in. Ask him to help you see. Would you please do that? And church, church, what do we do, right? Well, first off, we live as though we understand that it's by the grace of God we've had the riches of heaven lavished upon us. 
in Christ, right? We pray. So we pray. What do we pray? We ask God to help us see Jesus as infinitely valuable as he is. He is treasure. And we ask God to help us, our hearts, to treasure him more than anything else on this entire universe or planet or anywhere else beyond that, that we see him. We ask God to give us compassionate hearts towards the godly poor And towards everyone for that matter, but specifically the godly poor as we seek ways to bless them and to work for their good. We ask God to show us how to live on less. On less. Why? So we can be more generous. So we can give more away. Oh man, don't don't get into hoarding up. Give it away. You'll be so much more free. You'll enjoy him so much more. And, and, And we ask God to do that in a way that witnesses to the world. So many times, the way we live, it really is just like we live like the world and we say we love Jesus, and the world's just not impressed. i got to be honest. We live differently. I, I hope you can live on a higher standard than you live, but you choose not to. Why? So you can be more generous. Why? Because you know a generous God who has given you everything in Christ, and you don't find your ultimate happiness in these things. And, and so... We also pray for the people who don't know Christ because they need to see him so they can come alive in Christ. And, and, and we know, listen, it's hard for a rich person, right? We remember it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It, it, it's so hard for a rich person to see Christ as valuable. Matter of fact, it's beyond hard. It's impossible. It's impossible. But Jesus reminds us, listen, With man, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So, church, we pray. We pray, God, open their eyes to see you as infinitely valuable. We respond by working hard and diligently for the people that we work for. We represent King Jesus. We work hard to provide for our family. We work hard to give to the church, to to further the cause of what Jesus is doing in and through these people. We live more simply. We live and give sacrificially. And this is what the gospel demands of us as his children. Because here's the thing. Generosity is a gospel issue. And generosity is a good indicator of someone who has met our good and generous, gracious God. It just is. It's just an overflow. It's not anything we do so that we get love. It's because we have infinite love in Christ. And so we give it away with joy. With joy, what a joy it is to give things away because they don't own me. They don't own me. And lastly, church, we live as those who really believe that Jesus is our greatest treasure and that our lives are not our own. They're not our own, but, but we were bought with a price. We live with eternity in the future, with it in our mind, as our forefront, as we think about how can I impact this world for your glory, Lord, for their good and for my ultimate joy. Give us faith to do that. And when we tell others that Jesus is my ultimate treasure and they look at you sideways, hopefully your life matches up to what you're saying. And then they start to say, man, you're, you're different. What's going on? And then you say, let me tell you about my king. Let me tell you about my treasure. And so, church, that's what we're called to do. And that's what it looks like to have faith that works. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, 
Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.